Good morning again. As you think about uh, uh, Jesus as a child, as Wayne was uh, uh, leading our thoughts around the table, I've often, often wondered or considered, uh, uh, did he know in his entire life that it was heading toward the cross? Did he know at 12 years old, sitting there, listening to the teachers, answering questions, that his life was leading toward death for all of mankind? Think of the, you know, think of the burden of knowing that. Knowing that you live in perfection so that others might live. And yet he did. He did all of that. He did all of that so that we could have life. Isn't that amazing? You think of your average 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old. And he went through all of that imperfection. How many of you were perfect when you were 13 years old? Any hands? That's mind-boggling. And he chose, he chose this life on earth so that we could have life. It's interesting when you think about the Pharisees, the passage that was just read for us. There is a man who doesn't have full use of his hand. And the Pharisees are watching, the teachers of the law are watching Jesus, not hoping and expecting and, and anticipating something wonderful. You know, not longing for this man to be healed by someone who is obviously a healer. But what are they doing? Do you remember? It was just read for us. What are they doing? They're sitting there waiting so that they will have some justification for their thoughts on Jesus. So they'll have some reason for accusing him. And Jesus looks around and says, okay, this is the Sabbath. Is it good to do good or bad on the Sabbath? And their response tells a lot. Because what did they say? Oh, now I'm tricking you because he's trying to remember what they said. What did they say? Nothing. They just waited to see what Jesus would do. At this point, they probably know Jesus well enough to know what he's already going to do. But Jesus reaches out. He says, hold out your hand. And the man leaves there healed. And their response isn't to look at the wonder of what just has happened. The power that he has just displayed. Their understanding to know that that power only comes from God. To know that he is from God, that he has just healed his men. And, and they're not happy about it. They're not ecstatic. They're not looking at it and going, this is amazing. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Son of God? Could he be who he claims to be? Instead, they're furious with him. 
And they're thinking of ways on what they can do to him. On how they can accuse him. How they can get rid of him. Instead of seeing what's right in front of them. The miraculous that they have just witnessed. We have a, we have a wonderful God. Do we not? We have a wonderful and amazing Truly amazing God who is our creator, our heavenly father, who loves us and desires for us to be in a relationship with him. And it should never be lost on us. The desire that God has for us to be in a relationship with him. What God has done so that we can have life. What Jesus was willing to go through so that we could have life. There is one and only one God. And throughout the history of mankind, God has set forth to bring about this plan of salvation for us. So that we can come up out of our sin and have life. That we can be at peace with him. And we can only be at peace with him if we come to him through Jesus. To follow the example that was set. To be faithful and obedient. And to repent of our sins. Sometimes I I, I look at the world. And what I see in the world is that the world desires to alter God. To fit our society. They want to alter God in a way that fits the world view. And so we'll see at churches uh, questioning things that they've done in the past. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with questioning things as long as you're, you're understanding, is this godly? Is this godly? Yeah, we're always, we're always wanting to be godly. But they begin to question things and alter things and change God to fit our society. There's some problems with that, right? Yeah. There's some problems with that. First off, why is our society Right. Why is the way that our country does things right? Because we do them. And because we do them, we often think because we do it, it's it's right. Well, why isn't a different country right? And we should be altering God to fit that country. Or, or, Or another country. Or something altogether different. And what happens in 10 years when our country changes? Do we change God to fit again? Well, the reality is that people do over and over and over again. They want to alter God. When God has called from us, is not for us to look at him and say, how can we fit God into my life? That, that's backwards thinking. We come to God so that we have life. And there is only life in him. And he has called for us to change. Right? We come out of darkness and into light. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Children of God, engrafted branches, branches that were once separate from the vine, are now a part of the vine. That we were once separate from the body, we are now a part of the body. And we are altering who we are to be His. We come to Him. If we don't, if we want to change God, then we stand in opposition to God. 
But it's the only way it works, is if we open up God's word and come to him. To come to him and be as he has called us to be. And we are so blessed, so tremendously blessed, that he has allowed us to do this. For think who we are. Think who we are as human beings. We are often weak, stubborn, sinful, far too quick to get angry, far too slow to forgive. We choose poorly. We don't foresee the things that are coming. We have a hard time controlling our tongues. And on and on and on. And yet, despite all of that, God has loved us and loves us still to the point where he wants us truly to be his children, to no longer be sinners and enemies, but to be his. And so it is truly beautiful that we can know the love of our Heavenly Father. We need to embrace that and embrace following the example that he's given us. Do, do we truly desire do we truly desire to be like him to be what he's called us to be do we understand the things that he says in God's word we need to open it and study it and know it and look at the mistakes we're, we've made or making and, and repent of those things and change those things to be in line with him Do we, do we allow the busyness of life, do we allow the other things of life to come between us and God? Do we love our God? Do we love our God? Do we love because he loves us? Do we love our God with all that we are? Do we, do we love our neighbor? Do we have love for our enemies? This is what God has called us to be, right? To love him, to love our neighbors, and even to love our enemies. All, all of those things, uh, what is the answer? Come on, what's the answer you want to give? Yes, of course. Like, I mean, as soon as that question is asked, the answer you want to give is yes. We've been fairly well programmed to answer those questions with, with yes. Yes, I love God. Yes, I love my neighbor. Yes, I love my enemies. How? How are you loving your God? How are you loving your neighbor? How are you loving your enemy? Turn into Luke chapter 6. Because there's one thing to, to say these things. It's another thing even to believe these things. And maybe an addition to all of those is to face the real life dilemma of what it actually looks like to do these things. So Jesus says this. But I say to you here, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, 
Do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. All right. How does that sound? Is that the first time you've ever heard that? No. Probably heard that many, many times. In fact, how many times do you think your parents quoted this to you when your siblings were not getting along? Just, someone's mistreating you, well, turn the other cheek and it'll be okay. Well, okay. That just means he's going to hit me twice. What do we think about this? We know this. We've, we've heard this. What is this saying? But I say to you here, love your enemies. Love your enemies. He builds on it. He doesn't leave it there. The idea of loving our enemies is what? What does he say in the very next part of that verse? Because here's, here's the definition for us when we say, well, what does it mean to, to love our enemies? Well, here's the definition. This is what God says. This is what Jesus says. Do good to those who hate you. Are we doing good to those who hate us? Are you, are you actively finding ways or looking for ways to respond to anger, hatred, mistreatment with good? That's a... Uh, wait a minute. I'm far more comfortable just loving my enemy from a distance. Thank you very much. It's way easier to just understand that I'm supposed to love them as long as I can be here and they can be somewhere else. Go back into the, the story that we, was read for us earlier from Luke chapter 6. When Jesus says, is it better to do good or, or to not do good on, on the Sabbath? Do you think Jesus knows what the Pharisees' response is going to be? Do you know whose presence he's in? Do you know what they're doing, their, what their reaction is going to be, what it's going to lead to? What lesson is he trying to teach them? He tells them, right? Do what is good. Why is he taking the time to try to teach them at all? Are they not going to be the ones that stand there and incite the crowd to yell crucify, crucify? Aren't, aren't they the ones that know that he's from God and yet still turn away from them to try to hold on to this grasp, this little bit of power that they have? They're not technically his enemies, but are they not the ones through the, basically through all the Gospels that actively work against him, look for ways to accuse him, look for ways to bring about his death? And he's trying desperately to teach them that they need to do good that he's doing good when we have those that hate us or our enemies those who who maybe despise god 
How do you bring them about? How do they change their opinion on, on God? How do they change their opinion on, on you? You may never accomplish it, but how do you go about attempting to do it? Not a trick question. The answer is on the board. The answer came straight out of Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And on top of that, it's not just a physical thing that you do there, but on top of that, it says more. Right? So then it says, bless those who curse you. And what else? Pray for those who mistreat you. Do good. Bless. Pray. So in action, in word, and before God, we are turning over that relationship to God and doing what God has wanted us to do. And again, we see this in the example of Jesus over and over and over again. Even if they mistreat you, steal from you, hit you, we are called to turn to them the other cheek. Why? Does our world not live uh, much more closely aligned to the code of an eye for an eye? And if someone's going to mistreat you, then that is permission that they've given you to mistreat them? Isn't that kind of the code of our world? That person over there is acting in a certain way. That means I can treat them in the same, same manner. Okay, but think about that. If this person is acting in a way that you don't like, in a way that isn't appropriate, in a way that isn't godly, and you say, but that's permission for me to do the same, then you've just got two people that are acting in the same way. And if you've said to yourself, that way isn't appropriate, that way isn't good, and that way isn't godly, then why would we adopt that and say, well, that gives me permission to act the same? God is saying you don't have permission to act the same. If someone mistreats you, if someone steals from you, even if, even if they take your coat... And we, in here, we just coming out of winter, we appreciate a good coat. If someone takes your coat, what do you do? Say, here, do you need a sweater? It's cold out there. Really? And we, we know these verses, right? It's not the first time we've read them. Is that our response? Come on, let's, let's be honest. Is that our natural first response of what we would do? So why is God saying don't do what would naturally come to your mind to do? Why, why buck that natural instinct? Because sometimes we're wrong. And our desire is more than just to have our own coat. Our desire should be to bring that person closer to God. So why do, why do we turn the other cheek? Why, why do we act in this manner? Why do, we, why do we say the things and do the things that God has called us to do? Because of our relationship with God and our desire to bring someone else to God as well. While we were still sinners, what did God do for us? At just the right time, by the way. At just the right time, 
What did God do for us? You know that passage? Christ came and died for those who were ungodly, those who were sinners, those who were his enemies. And why did he do that? Because he loves us and desires for us to have a relationship with him. So the question I have, is it only us? Is it only us that God loves? Is it only us that God came and sent his son for that while we were still sinners so that we could have life? Or does the person who's still struggling with sin need to see that love still? Need to understand that God loves them? Need to understand that the body, the church, is still embodying the example of Jesus? Do they not need to know that as well? How, how are they going to learn? How are they going to hear the word of God if someone doesn't teach, doesn't preach, if we aren't acting and living the way that God wants us to? The next part of that passage. The easiest thing for us to do is to take these passages and apply them to those who love us. And say, I'm a very loving person. I, I spend a lot of time caring and loving those who love me. And is that a wonderful thing? I mean, the scripture isn't saying that that's a bad thing. right? That's a wonderful thing, to be a loving person. And to love those who love you. But what does it say? Verse 31 is where we left off. We'll pick up there again. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Are we different than the world? In a lot of ways, we're the same. I mean, we can't get out of the physical world we live in. So we have a lot of commonalities. So that's not the question I'm asking. Are we different than the world and how they perceive God? How they treat others? Their relationship with God? Their responses to friends, enemies, acquaintances? Are we different in word, in action, in deed, thought process? Are, are we different in what's important to us? what we value, the hopes that we have, what brings us joy and contentment? Are we different than the world? The answer to that is what? We, better, we should be. We better be. We, we better desire to be. We better be striving to be. And, and obviously there's going, to be, there's going to be struggles there. There's going to be concerns. There's going to be uh, mess-ups. But we have, to, we have to desire to be different. Here in Luke, he says, okay, so you, you love those who love you. Congratulations. Guess who else does that? 
without question. The world does that because that's just the way we're geared. Someone treats you nicely, you treat them nicely. That's why salesmen are fairly friendly, right? Why, why are they fairly friendly? If you had to go to a grumpy salesman, do you want to buy from them? No. They treat you nicely because they know the brain is geared to respond to niceness with niceness. But the world does that. I mean, we can, we can do that and understand that that's the, pretty much the bare, the bare minimum. And that's not what God has called us to. And so he's saying, be different than that. Be different than the world. And the difference is what? Again, this is, this is us understanding our relationship with God, who we are, and that we have a purpose. Our life has a purpose. We, we are going somewhere, right? If, if I was to ask you, where your, your citizenship was, what would your response be? So if you had to pull out your spiritual passport, what would it say? It better not say earth, because that is just, that's going to go away at some point. We're not, we're not doing all this so that we can extend our time here. We have a purpose God has called us to love him, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. And if we're going to withhold that love, if we're going to withhold that forgiveness and, and all of that, then we're not doing what God has called us to. God has called us to draw near to him, to be like him, to use the example given so that we can interact with the world around us in a manner that is godly, to draw others closer to God. Do we appreciate and understand that that's the life that we have? I don't like phrasing it like this, but it's what always comes to mind. That's the job description. And that's who we are. We have tasks that God has called us to do. You know, God says that there's good works for us to do that he's prepared in advance, right? That these are the things that we are to do. This is how we are to live. And it's not a, it's not a burden, it isn't a wonderful, wonderful thing, is it not, to be able to walk in step with the Spirit? Isn't it? I mean, isn't it pure, almost pure joy to know that we are at peace with our God? And so we get to walk in step with the Spirit. We get to have then the fruits of the Spirit with a purpose of pleasing God, of loving God, of loving our neighbor, of loving even our enemies. And to enjoy it. <laughs> because we are living for God. We are drawing near to our Creator, our Heavenly Father. And so it is not, oh, this is the worst. This is as good as life can get. And Satan will throw plenty of other things at you and say, but wait a minute, this is good. This is better. This is what life would really be worth having. And it's not those things. It's drawing near to God, living for God. So if you want to be better at all the things that you do, if you want to really reach your full potential, then live for God, because that's how we were created. 
You want to be a better wife, a better husband, a better child, a better, a better worker, a better boss? It's all here. Live for God. Draw near to Him. And you will be what God has called you to be. Now, there's a struggle in that because, again, we live in a physical world. And so we're going to struggle at times with different decisions, with different actions. And we have to, we have to continue to draw near to God. Go back into Luke. I'm going to jump down just a little bit. Uh, verse 37, I guess we did read down to 36, so it's not that big of a jump. Uh, Do not judge, it says, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. All, all three of these things and a fourth is to give. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and give. With this in mind, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Have you ever contemplated these verses? I mean, really, really spend time thinking about what, what this means. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know if it can be much more straightforward. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This fullness, this full cup. You know how sometimes you can pour, you can pour grain into it, and it'll kind of if you shake it a little bit, you can get it to go down, and you put some more in, you shake it, you get it to go down, and you can press it down, right? And you can more the full measure. If we are willing to act. And, and treat people with the same treatment that we have been given. We, we are the body of Christ. Is that right? That was a, a serious question I'd like an answer to. Are, are we the body of Christ? Good. I see from your response that you agree with me. It'd be pretty hard to have any other stance than that. So who then is the head? Is it us? Do we take on role of head and body? What happens when we do? Do we get ourselves in trouble? Do we make decisions and choices that are, are, are wrong? Do I, do I treat people inappropriately? Do I get angry? 
Do I, do I lose my patience because I'm living for me? Because I'm, I'm in control. I'm smart enough to figure everything out on my own. Do I have a hard time forgiving? Do I, do I condemn others? Do I, do I not pardon people? Do I, do I not act in a way because, because I know what's right? And I'm good and I'm true and I'm this. Go back to the very beginning when John read for us. Of the two groups of people described there, Jesus and the Pharisees, who do you think acted that way? And, we, and they, get a, they get a bad rap because they stood against Jesus so often. And again, they were, they were men and they made mistakes. But they had it all figured out, didn't they? I mean, they had it down almost to a science on what was right, what was good, what was obedient, what was true. And yet when truth stood before them, they missed it. And why did they miss it? Because they were not humble before God. They did not recognize their own mistakes. They did not come back to God. And so they treated others around them in such a manner. Are we the body of Christ? And we agree that we are. And we agree that Christ is the head. Then who dictates how we should act? how we should respond, how we should love and forgive, how we should treat those who are suffering, how we should treat those even who mistreat us. It's not the body. It should be the head. And when we open up passages like this, we get a very clear picture of what then the church should look like, right? in response to those who are parts of the church, in response to those who are mistreating the church, in response to those who would be even enemies of the church. We do not act the same way as the world, but as the head of the church calls us to act. Farther down in Luke chapter 6, not much farther, but just a little bit, we're going to read Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree that produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart.